turn in your Bibles, and I want to bring up this text, Isaiah chapter 59, verse 21. Isaiah 59, 21. Can you bring that up, Alicia? Isaiah 59, 21. Look at what it says on the screen. You can look up there. It says this. As for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them, my spirit who is upon you and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth. Nor from the mouth of your descendants, in other words, the word of God on our mouth and on our children's mouth. Nothing thrills me more than, than when I hear Rachel speaking the word. When Jacory quoted the Christmas story on Sunday morning during our play. My gosh, that was so amazing. That was so awesome. And that's something that it's a seed that's now in him that will never go away. And uh, I mean, he learned it for a play, but it's going to impact his life. Nor from the mouth of your descendants, nor from the mouth of, of your descendants. So your children and your children's children, as it goes, of your descendants' descendants, says the Lord, from this time and forevermore. How long? It continues to go on. So this this act, this discipline, this grace of being able to take the word of God, speak it, and it actually bring impact is to go from generation to generation to generation. One of the most important things we can do as parents is to and understand this. Your number one discipleship project is your family. Our responsibility, my responsibility before being a pastor of a church is to be the, the husband and the head of my home to make sure that I am discipling my family, to make sure I am leading my family spiritually. Amen. That's my number one. If I fail at that, but I have apparent success in this, I've not succeeded at all. What is so critical is that I raise up and train up my children in the way that they should go, knowing that when they are old, they will not depart from it. And so learning to get this word and that the word of God becomes something that's spoken in your house freely, often and common. Not in a common way to make it overly familiar, but, but where our kids literally get a sense that this is important. Because I, heard, I overheard my dad praying. I overheard my, my mom speaking the word of God as she made the bed. I overheard my dad in the shower quoting Deuteronomy 28. You know, that's got to be weird. For, and I often wonder when I'm in the shower, you know, just blurting out scripture, <laughs> singing scarily, you know, y'all you know what I mean. You're singing. You're just going for it in the shower because you think nobody else is hearing, but the whole house is hearing. And I always, I always wonder what that does for my daughter, Rachel, at 10 when she hears her daddy quoting the word, hears her daddy praying, hears her daddy saying things like, we got to stand, we got to be strong, we can't lose faith, we can't grow weary while doing good. You know, I mean, what, is that, what does that do for a child? I didn't have that luxury in my home. And I did not hear those words in my home. I heard a lot of things, but not that. And so I wasn't raised whereby I had that advantage. And it is an advantage. And I don't know about you, but I want to give my child and my children and my grandchildren the greatest advantage possible. Amen? The greatest start. And so this amazing thing of, of the value of being able to speak the word of God. Here's our takeaway for this, this little mini-series that we're doing, and it is this. Your future is in your mouth. I know that sounds crazy. It sounds kind of silly, but your future is in your mouth. In other words, what you say, what you speak is what you will have. Mark 11, 24, 22 to 24 tells us that we will have whatever we say. 
And so the question is, what are we saying? Because you have now what you said before. You're living in a harvest right now. That's good or bad. But we are living in a harvest right now. There are times, and Annette and I have gotten very careful with this, and we'll, we'll catch each other, and we'll, we'll uh, in love, rebuke one another. You know what I mean? Stop each other. Like, stop that. Don't say that. Don't, no, cut it off. Don't say that. Because we've learned to really manage because we realize the impact of words. In fact, it was so impactful. Listen to what, what uh, it, it, and this goes on down. I'm, I'm helping Alicia out. The value of declarations. Let me give you the definition, and then I'll show you how powerful that is. The, the definition of declaration is very simple. It means to make quite clear. When I declare something, I'm making it clear. You know, when you declare something, you picture somebody standing up on something. Getting up on your soapbox, so to speak. Standing up, saying something, making it clear. And so when I speak the word of God, I'm going to make it quite clear for heaven. I want to make it quite clear for hell. And I'm going to make it quite clear for anyone else who's listening, but especially for me, that this is important. I've got something to say. So declarations, when you think in terms of speaking words, what we're speaking or saying is that we are making something quite clear. So what we want to do is develop a daily habit of taking God's word and making statements or declarations that we are making things quite clear because with our words, we change the atmosphere. And if your future is in your mouth and if we have what we say, then we need to be very purposeful in what we say. Can I get an amen? Are you with me? All right. Give you some real quick things. It's out of the mouth that we reveal what is in the heart. Your mouth is a barometer. It's an indicator of what's on the inside. With, and our words are so powerful. We know that they devastate, they destroy, or they build up, and they actually create. Words have that kind of power. The earth itself is created by words, and God said, and it was. So words must be pretty important. The Bible doesn't say that God thought about it. It says he said it. Verse 3, Jesus used words to fight the devil during his temptation. Number four, faith is released through what? You want to know how to release your faith? You release your faith through your words. You don't release your faith simply by meditating, simply by thinking, simply by hoping, simply by wishing. You release your faith through your words. I declare, I make quite clear, this is what God's word says, and I believe it. See, that's, you release your faith through your words. Um, number five, Jesus defied and counteracted the established laws of nature with words. Listen to this, Matthew 8, 26, Jesus rebukes the storm. Matthew 17, 18, Jesus rebukes a demon. The word rebuke means to stop. It literally means to arrest. So if you ever hear that word, because it gets thrown around in church a lot, that somebody rebuked me, all they did was stop you. So if I made the comment about Annette and I rebuking our, our words, we're not, we're not getting in each other's face. We're just stopping that word. We're stopping that. We're arresting it so it doesn't go any further. So Jesus stopped the storm. He arrested it with words. Jesus stopped a demon with words. Jesus stopped sickness with words. I don't know about you, but uh, I'm tired of sickness having its way. I, I, I mean, Sunday morning, I don't know if you know, I notice weird, quirky things, but Sunday morning while I'm up here, man, I heard people coughing and hacking and coughing, and, ha and I'm like, we need, to, we need to do something about this. We need to fight this. We need to rebuke this and stop this. Amen? When we close the service, we'll do that. 
Uh, number six, Jesus issued a stern warning concerning our words because he understood the power that words carry for both good and bad. In Matthew 12, he talked about you will have whatsoever you say. He's talking about being careful about idle words spoken, that man will be held accountable for every idle word spoken. How about you? I've spoken a few idle words. And it says it will be held accountable for that. And so thank God for grace. Amen. Say it's under the blood. All right. Now, power confessions for living every day. And I want to give you a few of these. And, and, and one of the ways that Annette and I do this, we don't do this every day, but we do this often. And as we take we take that little book by Jermaine Copeland, Prayers That Avail Much, and we read through that. I've got several that are kind of my favorites. Renewing the Mind's my favorite one. I, that's what, definitely the one I, my go-to. Uh, Rachel likes the one uh, for peaceful sleep, and she's memorized it. So she'll quote that. That's her nightly prayers to pray for peaceful sleep. And then I'll tag team off of her when she finishes that. I'll kind of keep it going. But but using that little booklet, all that is, is God's word put into prayer form so that you can with your mouth, not just read, but declare, not just not just see with your eyes and think in your mind, but but say with your mouth and literally Get that word out there so that you're making declarations. The first one I gave, and these are just some that I do and that are personal to me, and I'm hoping they'll encourage and help you. One of, one of my, and this one is all the time, I do this constantly, is that I declare that God is good. I make it quite clear that God is good. In fact, I just do it in my prayer time. I do it when I'm driving. I do it when I'm walking through the house. I do it when I'm out in the backyard. God, you're so good. God, you're so amazing. God, you're so awesome. God, and all I have to do is say that a few times and it just does something on the inside of me. See, when you make things clear, it gives it allows those words to have the power that's inside them, that authority that's in them to be released. And so that's one of mine. Another one we talked about a few weeks ago is that God is for me. That's out of Romans chapter eight. If God is for us, who could be against us? Well, you can also say God is for me. Say that with me. God is for me. Say it again. God is for me. And we know God is good and that God is for us. Now, does that mean that circumstances are always good? Does it mean circumstances are always for us? Not necessarily. Life happens. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world that's marked by sin that has not yet been redeemed. Although you and I have been redeemed, we live in a world that has not. Does that make sense? We're still the world is is even groaning. The scripture says in Romans eight, it's even groaning and longing for its redemption. It hasn't happened yet. But the beauty of it is, is you and I have we have a renewed mind, a renewed heart. Now, our earth suit's still caught in this thing and still stuck in this thing. And it's having to fight a good fight of faith. But listen, we have been renewed and our heart has been transplanted, have been changed. Amen. And so we can declare with authority that God is good and that God is for me no matter what the circumstance is. And those words carry power. Amen. Third thing is the joy of the Lord is my strength. Boy, we understand that because let me tell you something. If you're just getting joy based on your own strength, based on your own good day, bad day, how many know you have good days and bad days? How many know it's up, it's down? I mean, emotions, Booker right now, grieving, going through it, which you have to do. It's normal, but it's got you all over the map, does it not? It does. That's normal. And so, so when you're going through circumstances and situations, your emotions are going to take you all over the place. That's normal. 
But there's a declaration that you can make that no matter what's going on, no matter how I feel, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Listen, about 738 o'clock on Sunday night in Louisville, after doing church this morning, loading up the car, driving people, hanging out, helping set up about 738 o'clock over there. I'm going the joy of the Lord is my strength. Because, listen, my physical was going, rent, rent, rent. But I was like, the joy of the Lord. Let me tell you something. The joy of the Lord was literally our strength, was it not, Eric? And, and everybody who went over there because, man, we were all tired. But let me tell you something. It, it, there was such a surge of power because of the joy of the Lord. Amen? So that's another declaration that's so powerful for me. Another one is this. His mercies are new every morning. Every day I get up, I get a whole fresh batch of mercy. My gosh. It's inexhaustible. See, he's for me. He's good. His joy is my strength. And his mercy is, it never, it, it endures forever, the scripture says. So his mercies are new. They endure forever. And they're new every day. When you get up in the morning, no matter what kind of day, how many of you would say, I've had a really bad day today? It's just really not been a great day. Be honest. Anybody? Oh, nobody. Okay, a couple. All right, guess what? When you start in the morning, it's fresh. It's new. New mercies are yours. New mercies are yours tomorrow morning. Amen? Five, God's grace is sufficient. Boy, one of my favorites right there. You know what the word sufficient means? Enough. That's all it is. God's grace is enough. No matter what you're going through, there's enough grace for it. How many of you have ever been through something and you thought, and you've even maybe uttered out of your mouth, I don't know if anybody's ever said this, I don't think I can take another thing. Anybody ever said that? If one more thing happens, of course, we never complete the sentence, but if one more thing happens, I, you know, we just we don't go there. But but we just think there's no way I can take another hit. There's no way I can take another bad phone call. There's no way I can take another bad email or a bad piece of mail. Or a bad report. Anybody know what I'm talking about? There's no way I can take. Let me tell you something. His grace is sufficient even then. And it tells me that God must know us so much better because we think we can't take another thing. And guess what? Another thing happens. But we're assured in the scriptures that God never gives us more than we can bear. But with that gives us the ability to be out, to get out. I mean, God is so good. He's so faithful. His grace is sufficient. So if you're at that place, and some of you may be, let me tell you something. You think you can't take, Annette will say that every once in a while, I can't take another. I look at her and go, yeah, you can. Actually, you can. You can probably take 50 more things. That's how much God loves you. And he's going to, whatever comes your way, he's already given you the grace to bear it. You've got to understand, we already have the grace to bear what's coming. Whatever happens, the grace is there. Amen? It's sufficient. That's just something I say all the time, all the time. I lean on it. Now, go to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy 28, we, we picked up on this um, last week. Deuteronomy 28. That, the name of that book literally means the second law. That's what Deuteronomy means in the Hebrew. It's the second law. The first law was the book of Leviticus, and that book was literally written to give very specific instructions to the Levitical priests. 
So if you read the book of Leviticus, you're going to be like, okay, you take this lever, you light this candle, you do this, you cut this bull this way, you cut this, you know. I mean, it, you're, you're plowing through Leviticus. But when you get into the book of Deuteronomy, it shifts gears because now it's the second law. In other words, the second set of laws, and it is addressed to those who are followers of God, those who are his children, his own. Historically, in context, is to the Hebrews. To them, we now are the wild vine. We know this according to Romans chapter 9, 10. Uh, chapter 10, 9, chapter 10, chapter 11, that we are the wild olive branch that's been spliced into, grafted into the original vine, which means we are now under this covenant. Does that make sense? That's deep. I just went way deep on some of you, okay? But understand that even though we were not born literal Jews, okay, does that make sense? You with me so far? The Bible says in the New Testament that in Christ, we like an olive branch that's from another kind of tree, have been snapped off, grafted into the original so that we now in Christ are literally in a very real sense. We're his children, period. So it's not just about the Jewish people and then us being Gentiles. We are in Christ. And because we're in Christ, we've been grafted in. Let me tell you something. That's huge. It's everything. Because if that didn't happen, we'd still be growing off out there somewhere. We'd be on our own without hope and without God. Does that make sense? So being so even though historically it's referring to the this situation, we understand that in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. Does that make sense? It's a it's a type. In other words, things that happened in the Old Testament were for the benefit of us who would come along in Christ later on. Scripture tells us that in the book of Hebrews that all that was done on our behalf. So that we who read from this side of the cross, looking back, looking back over the old, old law, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, we look back with the benefit of Christ and everything that's happened, and we can see that that happened for our benefit. That's how much God loves you. It's crazy, crazy love. He loves you that much. And so because we can do that, and we can look back over that. Now we read a text like this, and we go, well, is this really about me? Because really it's referring to the Israelites uh, yeah, this is about us. This is yours. When I was a brand new Christian, I had a hard time making it about me because I I'm very literal and I'd read these and I'd go, well, I got to I got to know the history and the context before I can get anything out of this until I finally realized that because I've been grafted in this whole book is about me. So I can read the scriptures and go, that's mine. That promise, that's mine. That promise, those promises in Deuteronomy chapter eight about goodly houses and all that. Those are my promises, folks. So once you get that revelation, you step over that line, the Bible comes alive. And all of a sudden, you can read Genesis and get just as excited as reading Ephesians. Oh, Old Testament, New Testament, at that point, once you get that revelation, it's the whole Bible, the whole counsel of the Word that speaks to your life and to your heart. Does that make sense? I don't know about you, but I was raised in a tradition where it was a lot of New Testament and very tiny little... Old Testament was kind of looked at as, ah, oh, it's old news, ancient history. But they had not made the jump and the connection that in Christ, it's all ours. Does that make sense? In, in him. So anyway, I spent some time on that. All right, Deuteronomy 28. Second law written to God's people. So now you have specific directions about how we're to conduct our life and what we're to do. And we have here in this passage, which I'm trying to find with 
we have a, a book. I'm looking. Hold on. I'm handicapped here. I got one hand. All right. Here we are. Deuteronomy 28. Interesting thing about Deuteronomy 28, too, is it's 68 verses long. And so listen to this. We've got 14 verses of blessing. And then we have, I can't do the math, so I have to look, 53 verses of curses. So we've got a little bit of blessing here, but these blessings just outweigh everything. But I'm telling you, God is serious about his word. But what he's really serious about is our obedience to that word. Some people wonder why life is not working out for them and why nothing they touch works. Let me tell you something. You can be living under a curse. Now, let me define that real quickly before you get all voodoo and weird on me. I'm not talking magical, mystical stuff. The the literal definition or the actual working definition of a curse is an empowerment to fail. You ever known someone or maybe even been there yourself where you felt like, Nothing they did. You watched their life and everything they touched fell apart. Everything they were involved in was a train wreck. Every relationship, every person they dated ended up being, I mean, you just see it. You see a perpetual life of an empowerment to fail. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Now, here's the frightening thing about curses. Here's the thing. They can be generational. Now, this is what's really wild is that it can literally go from generation to generation to generation. Whereby three generations ago, a heinous act was committed, a curse was incurred, and now that curse can be passed down generation to generation. Annette and I, when we lived out in Southern California, we just were battling things, and we did not know why. We knew of some things in each of our family line, and we decided, we sat down with a book that kind of helped us walk through this, we literally took out a notepad and we began to write down behavioral patterns that we struggled with. We began to con- and God began to help us connect the dots and we began to realize a lot of the things that we labored under. Does this make sense? We feel like you're just you're always living under something. What we realize is we begin to connect the dots to our parents and to our grandparents and to our grandparents, parents. I mean, we begin to realize we were operating under generational empowerments to fail in certain areas. Does this make sense? And so we literally, and we did this over, over a few days, but we sat down and we listed out one after another, these, these behavior patterns, things that were recurring, things that were besetting in nature. Beset means repetitive. You, you seem to not be able to break free from that or get loose from that, whether it's an addiction or a pattern or a thinking pattern or a behavior pattern or maybe the way you react to things. And we began to make all, connect all these dots, and we went through a series. Anybody listen to me tonight? Because somebody needs to do this. And we went through a series of renouncing these things and cursing these curses. In other words, we took our authority in Christ and empowered those curses that were on us to fail. Does that make sense? And so we literally walked through a whole series of prayers, and they were all laid out for us. And it seemed kind of mechanical, and yet we felt as we read through that more power, more authority, more power. The further we got into it, it just lifted us up. Now, we're going to, in the summer, have an opportunity to re-engage for our church a, a teaching series class called Free Indeed. Some of you went through it, but let me tell you something. Those of you that went through it, you know it means business. You don't just get in there and Pastor Rich teaches a nice little Bible study. 
You get in there and you deal with the crap that has been holding you back your entire life. And how many of you know the devil's going to fight that one? And so those of you that, that, that need to, and that's probably most all of us, need to go through that class. And you need to deal with those generational issues off of your life because they are curses. They're empowerments to fail. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay. Now, Deuteronomy 28. Look at the first few verses. Now it shall come to pass. If you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, diligently, that means steadfastly. That means with purpose, with intent. It says to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. You will be exalted. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. If curses are an empowerment to fail, blessings are an empowerment to succeed. So think in those terms. So when I say make this statement, I'm blessed. I'm not talking about how awesome I am. I'm talking about how awesome my God is. There's a way to say it. I say it with an attitude of gratitude. I'm blessed. God has blessed me. It's with gratitude that I say it, not with pride. There's a big difference, and I've, I've known people who do it both ways. And, and there's a difference in your tone. There's a difference in your purpose. There's a difference in your motive. I'm not blessed because I'm all that in a bag of chips. I'm blessed because God loves me. And we walk in tremendous humility in blessing. Does that make sense? But, I mean, I've seen some stuff that just turns my stomach. I'm sure it turns God's stomach as well. All right, listen to this. Let's go through this. We'll, we'll go real quickly. All these blessings, verse 2, shall come upon you, overtake you, because you obey the voice. Boy, you hear obedience a lot here. Diligently obey. All these commands. Sounds like God's serious about his word. Amen? Verse 3, blessed, empowered to prosper. I'll go ahead and just say it that way. Empowered to prosper shall you be in the city, and empowered to prosper shall you be in the country. Say this. Say, I am empowered to prosper. In the city. I am empowered to prosper in the country. Now, honestly, doesn't that kind of cover everything? There's city, there's country. What else is there? All right, let's keep moving. All right. Empowered to prosper shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your ground and the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. You're like, I don't have any cows. Okay. Hello. Bring it into our time. This, this actually cattle, those things, those were, they were an actual mark of wealth. And those who had cattle, those who had livestock, those, those were things that indicated sustenance, pro- provision. There was the things that you had. They were your resources. So whatever your resources are, he says you're going to be empowered to succeed in those things. Can I get an amen? It says, uh, verse 5, blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. I don't have one of those either, but apparently it has to do with production and produce and that which I make and put my hands to. Does that make sense? Blessed shall you be. Look at this. I love this. Empowered to prosper shall you be when you come in and empowered to prosper shall you be when you go out in and out. What else is there? Amen. Do you think do you get the picture? He's covering everything here. In other words, a blessed life means that everything you're involved in is empowered to succeed. Now, does that mean it happens in that moment? In the spirit, yes. But how many know there is 
something called seed time and harvest. There's time involved. All right. Verse eight. Empowered prosper shall you be when you come in. I already did that one. Verse seven. The Lord will cause your enemies. I love this one. Who rise against you to be defeated before your face. Somebody needs to lay hold of that one. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you. How many ways? See, I've, I've gotten that. That's a part of my prayer. When I'm doing spiritual warfare and I'm really making a declaration, a stand, I'll tell the devil, you come at me one way, you've got to go seven. You're going to get split seven ways. So you want to fight? Bring it on. But you're going you're gonna to retreat and you're going to be gone seven ways. So you've got to be strong in this. You've got to understand that whatever comes at you and attacks you unjustly, unrighteously, will be literally split seven ways. I mean, that's a power. That is one serious blade, is it not, to cut seven ways? That's the blade of the Lord. Come on. The sword of the Lord. I mean, he, he'll rise up a standard against anything that comes. So just take courage. Know that God is fighting on your behalf. Amen. Verse eight, the Lord will command the blessing, the empowerment to prosper. He'll command it on you and in your storehouses and in all to which you set your hand. And he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Do you get a do you get the idea that God loves to bless his people? But and I say, but because there's there's a contingency here. There's a covenant here. God says, I will if you do this. I will do this if you do this. If you do this, then I will do this. It's called covenant. And God is a covenant God. And here he's saying, if you obey my word and obey my voice, then this will happen to you. And then he spends 53 verses saying what will happen to you if you don't. And when you read through the curses, which we won't do here, but when you and you should. It'll put the fear of God in you. Because it's crazy stuff like your camel will die out in the desert and, I mean, locusts will swarm all over you. I mean, crazy stuff. Yeah, it's wild. And so you should read through those curses because that's what happens. It's an empowerment to fail if we do not obey the voice of the Lord. If you're not a believer and you're not a Christ follower, this doesn't relate to you. This isn't relevant to you. But if you're a child of God and you name the name of Jesus, this is relevant to you. And God expects us to obey. God expects us to obey. And I'm concerned that in our culture, where we want it convenient and easy and quick, we read scriptures that tell us not to grow weary while doing good, because in due time, due season, we'll reap if we don't lose heart. We read that and go, eh. I want it now. I'll never forget somebody telling me that they were praying for a car. And I said, well, you praying for a good deal. You praying for finance, you know, and they said, oh, no, we're praying that God will give us a car. I mean, literally give us a car. And I was like, wow, that's bold. That's audacious. And we need to pray some audacious prayers. But I thought that's pretty awesome. Well, they came bouncing in the church. It's been a few years ago. They came bouncing here. You know, keys jingling and came to show me and Pastor Rich and others in the office. Oh, the Lord blessed me with a car. The Lord blessed me with a car. And we're like, are you serious? They had told us they'd gone out and laid hands on cars in parking lots uh, in car lots here in town. And when the salesman came out, they'd made these bold statements. No, the Lord's going to give me this car. And salesman's like, thank you very much. I'll see you later. And they came in here wagging keys saying the Lord gave us a car. The Lord gave us a car. Well, I did a little, a little, a little interview like 
Because I'm going, you mean God literally gave, well, it turns out, no, they financed the car. I said, but that ain't what you said God was going to do when you told me God said he was going to do that. But, but you see what I'm saying here? Shortcutting, taking a shortcut, not being willing to continue on, do the right thing every day for a long time, knowing that there will be a season of harvest. And that and I believe right now, we just had this conversation driving back from Fort Worth today, that we believe we are stepping into our season of harvest that we have spent 18 years sowing for. Because we're beginning to see the sprigs come up through the ground. The little green things poke up through. We're beginning to see the first signs of harvest. You ever seen a, a field that starts to grow? And you see just a little bit of green starting to stick up. And we're beginning to see that. So we know we're, we, because we decided we were not going to lose heart. We were not going to grow weary. We were not going to give up. We were not going to cave in. We were not going to quit, even though there were times we wanted to. So we continued to do the right thing, continue to do the right thing. When we did the wrong thing, we repented and then started doing the right thing. Then did the right thing, did the wrong thing, repented and continued. See what I'm saying? So we're, we continue to and we're beginning to see. We believe we're entering into the greatest harvest season of our entire life. Now, look what it says here. All that to say about that little story is that uh, God didn't give them that car. They went and got their own Ishmael instead of Isaac, the promised one. Amen. All right. Lord, cause your enemies to rise. Verse eight. The Lord will command the blessing. Verse nine. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to establish means to set firm. When we talk about discipleship, that words in my mind establish it's one of our ease of our, of our of our whole mentality here is to establish believers. That means be grounded so that when the winds blow, you may be bent, but you will not be broken. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself. Just see has sworn to you. If there's that if again, that if statement, if you keep the commandments of the Lord, your God and walk in his ways, then all peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they shall be afraid of you. In other words, there will be a reverence. There will be an awe. Verse 11, the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, and in the produce of your ground, in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. Verse 12, the Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens. Uh, I love that picture in Malachi where he talks about in tithes and offerings. He says, I will open the windows of heaven. I don't know about you, but I want to I do life under an open heaven. Amen? To where it literally it's as though there's nothing blocking. It's open. Freely coming, freely going. Freely giving, freely receiving. Does that make sense? And that's the, that's the picture here. He'll open the, 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 I love that, open his good treasure of the heavens. Literally, in this, in this sense, to, to let the rains fall. Because that's how they increased. Through their, their stocks and their herds and their crops. He says this, to give the rain to your land in its season. Someone say in its season. In its season and to bless all the work of your hand, you shall lend to many nations, but you should not borrow. You've got to bring this into your life. I'm going to be one who lends, but I don't need to borrow because I am blessed. See what I'm saying? This is a process. Verse 13, and the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not be beneath. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God. There's a lot of ifs in this. Have you noticed? If you heed the command, which I command you today and are careful to observe them. 
in verse 14, he spins it here. So you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you this day to the right or to the left to go after other gods or to serve them. God means what he says. And when he speaks his word, his word is true. And here's the thing. Our responsibility is to take that word and now walk in obedience to that word and then watch God work. Watch God move on our behalf. Amen. Let's all stand together. Here's how I do this. Those of you who've been around, we've done this before, but I want to do it again. I want to go out with this. Deuteronomy chapter 28, and I, I just mix it all up because God's word is God's word, and he's not worried about if I get the verses in right order. Amen? And so what I do is I just kind of have a flow that I do, and, and it's just a real natural me where literally everybody bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, Father, that you give us the ability. Father, you give us the authority in Christ. We are full of the Holy Ghost, full of power, full of authority, full of strength, Lord. You have anointed us. You've empowered us. You have blessed us, empowered us to succeed, empowered us to prosper. Father, we are your children. You're good. You're good all the time. Father, you love us. You're for us and not against us. And because of that, I can stand on your word. I can stand on your promises because in Christ, in him, they are all yes and amen. And so, Lord, I thank you for your word in Deuteronomy 28 that says that if I will obey and heed your word and carefully observe it, and Father, that you will, that all these blessings, all these empowerments to prosper will come upon our lives. So, Lord, together as a people, we confess to you in the name of Jesus that we truly are blessed in the city. And we are truly blessed in the country. We are blessed coming in and we are blessed going in out. We are blessed that everything we put our hands to will literally prosper. Any enemy that comes against us will have to flee seven ways. And so, Father, we thank you that you bless us with authority and with strength and that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you're going to increase our goods, our storehouses, Father, because there is an anointing for increase on our lives, according to your word because we are your people and we obey your word. Father, according to your word, you have made us to be the head and not to be the tail. You have caused us to be above only and not beneath, Father, because of your word and because we heed your word. And so, Father, based upon your word, we make a choice today. We will not turn to the right. We'll not turn to the left to follow after other gods. But, Father, we will set our gaze upon you. And we, in the name of Jesus, will be empowered to prosper because we obey the voice of the Lord our God. Your word tells us in Isaiah that we will hear a voice. We will hear a word behind us saying, this is the way. Walk in it, whether you turn to the right hand or to the left. And so, Father, based upon your word, we, re we freely receive it. We freely give it, Father. And we walk in this grace. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Let me tell you something. That word is for you. That word is for you. Doesn't matter where you are, how you feel. That word is for you. And so get this word on your mouth. Take Deuteronomy 28. Take a highlighter. Uh, listen, your Bible is your workbook, folks. And if you've got to get three or four of them, get three or four of them. This is mine, and I've taken and I have marked through here and highlighted through here, and I've written notes in the margin because this is my workbook. It's the Word of God. And so I get in here, and I'll just read through it. So until you can be, get it kind of memorized and get it flow, just allow the Word to say what the Word says and get this Word on your mouth and let it work. We know the Word works. 
but we have to work the word. Amen. All right, let me pray for you. Be blessed as you go.